I'm Al Cresta. We're living uh, in a time when there's very little agreement uh, what words like race and justice mean. Uh, nevertheless, if you're going to be part of uh, today's you know, public conversation, you've got to have some clarity on these issues. With me right now is Ismail Hernandez. He's contributor to a new book, Race and Justice in America, the Civil Rights Movement, Black Lives Matter, and the Way Forward. Uh, Ismail is the founder and president, as you know, of the Freedom and Virtue Institute, which exists to challenge the paternalistic, condescending, and statist way of attending to the problems of poverty in America. His writings have appeared in various newspapers, including the Washington Times and magazines like Crisis and World. Uh, he is the author of the book, Not Tragically Colored, Freedom, Personhood, and the Renewal of Black America. Ismail, good to have you back here. Thanks. As always, great to be with you, Al. Let's, uh, let's, when we were together in Grand Rapids a few weeks ago, you were uh, teaching there on theories of race. What, what is... I'd like to get some clarity on this. Uh, I know that you make a, an important point of saying we should first of all understand what racialism is before we try to get to particular theories of race. So why don't you help us out? What is racialism? Uh, racialism, in my understanding, is, as, is the inordinate attention to the social construct of race where race becomes the heart of human identity. Mm -hmm. We place race at the very center, the core of of our individual identity. We are misplacing the place of this social construct in in the human experience and in the social interaction that comes from that experience. And that creates devastating problems for, for cohesion in society. Uh, when when uh, when race becomes uh, how you look at the world, the prism through which we we look at reality, we are going to see different things. Yeah, uh, we are going to understand the world in radically different ways, and and that is, I believe, one of the problems we are having in America, where racism is a species of racialism. Yeah. Yeah, race itself is a is a social construct, isn't it? I mean, there, there's no biogenetic basis for what we commonly call race, is there? Exactly. In fact, it's a, it's a common, it's a it's a new concept, highly subjective. In the 16th, 17th centuries, uh, it meant. The, the word race meant uh, a profession, a race of bishops, a race of teachers. Hmm. Later on in the 17th century, it came, be, became associated with nationalities, a race of, a race of British, a race of French. Mm-hmm. But many things happened from then on in the 17th, 18th, and, 17th, and 19th centuries that gave us this new understanding of race. And as you as you very well say, is really a construct that utilizes authentic biological differences, but it doesn't constitute what scientists call a break in nature, yeah. where we can cre- we can distinguish 
between two radical things by having this chasm between one and the other. The reality is that it zeroes in in very visual differences. You cannot miss the color of the skin of the other. But that is just one genetic difference. There there are hundreds of genetic differences between one person and the other. You can can marry someone from from the same race, so-called race that, that you are, and you are marrying a constellation of genetic differences that normally we cannot see. So we don't make, we don't create a mythology around what cannot be seen. Right, right. How did we, how did we attach so much meaning to skin pigmentation? Well, it, the reality, number one, it, 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 it cannot be avoided. Number two, as I said, many things happened in history that gave us this emphasis. One of them was the Crusades. For the first time, Europe is in an encounter with people who look different Mm -hmm. than them in a very large scale, but in a relationship of antagonism. Then you have the conquest and, uh, and colonization of new worlds, the economic policies of mercantilism that were attached to colonization and, and conquest, uh, the, the theory of Darwinism uh, that created this idea or this uh, theory about how certain species survive and others disappear in the natural world, that much later on in the 19th and 20th century was also a, a used by what we call social Darwinists to apply what was happening in the natural world to social realities. And finally, people, the the, the question of slavery. Slavery had existed universally in every continent for thousands of years, and now you had a new reason to justify slavery. Mm -hmm. Human beings have always had different reasons. And why not use these people who look different than us and who we can justify to utilize as uh, as a resource mm-hmm. in a paternalistic way? Because after all, science tells us now that we are superior than they are. <laughs> right. So, so there's really a long history to why today we attach this such importance to the concept of race. Mm. You know, it's funny, today when people think of racism, they think uh, of uh, uneducated, uh, you know, uh, redneck mobs, <laughs> when, when in fact, the, the whole, what we understand as racism was actually a fairly elitist concept among European <laughs> philosophers and then, and then uh, biological scientists uh, and anthropologists. It was, a, it was an elite concept for a while. Absolutely. Spencer and many others, yeah. sociologists, uh, began to embrace this new conception of humanity. At one point in the 19th century, they had determined that there were over 200 different races, supposedly. <laughs> uh, and because they were, they were building the construct, every difference that they found among new peoples, they, they call a race. So we can see how this elitist understanding begins to eventually creep into the base of society and give people a reason to do what they wanted to do anyway, and they were doing in the first place anyway. That mm-hmm. was 
slavery, uh, practicing slavery at a time when there were other influences in the European culture challenging the idea of of, of slavery and the slave uh, trade. Mm-hmm. And it, it is in Europe for the first time that you see this challenge to the notion of, of slavery. So you have this fight between the ideas of those who want to challenge the institution and those who want to perpetuate this ancient institution by way of a new characterization and the, the utilization of race as a justification. Yeah, interesting. So, yeah, so so race becomes the new justification for holding slaves, which we always wanted to do anyway. So, <laughs> exactly. another reason for us to, to have we get we have a lower race here, an inferior race. And well, you you mentioned two theories of race uh, yes. that you distinguish. Why don't you uh, help sketch those, sketch those for us? Well, I, I call them theories. It's more two visions of race in America. Okay. How we have understood the daunting question of racial antagonism in America from the very beginning. And it is important for us to try to understand instead of trying to find a solution. You know, everyone becomes an expert on race <laughs> in America right. today. Right. And we, we have not even tried to understand the situation. And one of them, the first one I call the personalist, integrationist, natural law-based understanding of race in America. That understood the the African experience as a wonderful expression of how a group of people became the quintessential expression of Americanism. If anyone is an American, is the is the black. And, and, and ha- that happened to a tremendous struggle against injustice. But this first understanding of, pers- of the human person and race in America understood, benefited from two different streams in the understanding of in this, uh, how we are to build society. Looking at the question of freedom. In the non-Western world, there was no conception of individual freedom. All relationships were relationships of, of belonging or not belonging to a king group. The reality is that for practical purposes, the idea of freedom as we understand it today as individual freedom did not develop in the non-West. It was the same in the Western world, but eventually certain things happened, especially in the Greek construction of, of freedom that eventuated the development of the idea of individual freedom. So in the non-West, you were an African slave, I, 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 you live in Africa in a tribe, and you were captured by another a tribe, you had two options. Return to your tribe uh, as quickly as possible, or integrate yourself eventually within the the group that have enslaved you. The third the third option of individual freedom did not exist for you. It was social death. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what happens then these people are captured as slaves and come to the American landscape, to the American uh, experience and for the first time they are exposed 
opposed to these new ideas of individual freedom. Mm-hmm. And in mm-hmm. that interaction between the old conception where community was so important, and these new conceptions where the individual matters, Africans in America did what they have always done in the landscapes of Africa. They integrated themselves into the new reality of America, yeah. and in the process became the quintessential Americans. Very so they, they stood, I always call it this, this understanding of race, of embracing yourself with the flag and then challenging America yeah. to live up to what they say, what America says on paper. Israel, hold it there. The second. Gotta, gotta take a break. We'll come back and pick up the second uh, theory of race here. My guest, Ismail Hernandez, taking a look at race and justice in America today. Uh, he has uh, edited a book of that uh, by that name. We'll tell you more about that as we go into the second segment. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta, and with me is Ismael Hernandez um, with the Freedom and Virtue Institute, taking a look at uh, the idea of race in America. We closed off the last segment talking about a theory of race, which he identifies as the uh, personalist, uh, integrationist approach. Uh, it's, uh, it's, in this case, the, the, the slave who's forcibly removed from his communi- communal setting in, in Africa, comes uh, to America as a slave and begins to have to uh, figure out what's going on here, and they're exposed to the idea of individual freedom, uh, even though they are enslaved. But this is a long, tough story, and eventually we see uh, for instance, in the case of the, the Martin Luther King Jr.'s "I Have a Dream" speech, uh, it, it, he becomes kind of the uh, archetypical American, restating the principles of the Declaration uh, in the night before his death. And is am I am I doing a decent job there? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, very, very well. Yes. Now. So that in in that personalist narrative, the integrationist narrative, um, it's actually an optimistic view of race, isn't it? It's, it's an optimistic view of race and, and and an optimistic view of America. Yeah, it, yeah. It, one that is whole sometimes with not many reasons to be optimistic. <laughs> In the face of great injustice and oppression, right. African Americans remain uh, loyal to these to the principles of the Declaration yeah. because they embrace those principles, even though the, the the racial practices of America on the ground gave them little hope for for the redemption and change. Yeah. Yeah. But in that sense, blacks became the conscience of America. Yes. Redirecting America to to be true to what we say on paper. Exactly. To 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 live up to to the meaning of the principles of the founding, and it is a beautiful interaction between the conception of the non-Western world, and even in Europe before the the Greek construction of of freedom, 
and, and the new ideas of freedom, that, again, coming from this Greek construction. Mm-hmm. Certain things happen in Europe. For example, the development of small farms and agricultural knowledge that allow people to be less dependent from the authorities of the group and the mythology of the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, the development of, of the ideas of Greek philosophy, uh, the ideas of Christianity, all of that emerged into this new conception that of individual freedom that was conceived in the heart and the minds of the non-Western world, but it never had an institutional framework to attach itself uh, uh, to. Mm-hmm. And that happens in the West, and especially in America, and the, the slaves benefit from that knowledge of individual freedom and created this wonderful new new persona, new, new reality. Yeah. Blacks were no longer Africans in diaspora. Their identity became American, but with its own flavor and its own wonderful contribution. Right, right. Now, the, there's a second theory of race that you focus on. Uh, you call the dialectical uh, se- uh, separationist approach. Uh, tell us about that. As you know, uh, 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 there were teachers in the early civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. The early civil rights movement was started was started by by pastors and by right. people of faith. Yeah, by men by, like Dr. King, and there were figures like uh, Booker T. Washington mm-hmm. and Frederick Douglass that embodied this this conception. But it, uh, a, a movement that began. Uh, as a legal and moral movement to to change things in America, it was reformist uh, at its core, uh, began to change. Uh, mm-hmm. Activism of the launch counters was still within the reformist understanding, but it was more activist than the early early movement. Then you have more features where a leftist understanding that embraces a leftist economic and social platform mm-hmm. begins to develop in the second part of the civil rights movement. People be, who began to challenge the ideas that inspired the early civil rights, rights leaders. And this new leadership will say, the problem is not that America is not living up to the ideas of the founding. The problem is that the ideas of the founding were were wrong and were false from the beginning. Right, right. That blacks never became American. They we remain as black as Africans in diaspora. We were the the slaves of America. We were the victims of Americanism, mm-hmm. and and in, in, and to embrace that American identity is betrayal to the to the reality of of our African uh, experience. And uh, uh, so that, that, that's a very different understanding that sees America institutionally as racist. Right. So racism became the value that founded America, not freedom. And what's the relationship between that analysis and the, the leftist uh, Marxist analysis, which is primarily economic, um uh so so very how yes. how they how they work off that because they, they go together somehow 
Absolutely. Very interesting development because you know well that something happens happened in Marxism also. Uh, Orthodox Marxism saw the, quest, the concept of social class and economics as the only matrix of understanding of social processes. But the neo-Marxist construction of Marxism began to see other centers of alienation, other conceptions of alienation, that, and that's where we can talk about the, the, the school of Marxism in Frankfurt in, in, in mm-hmm. Germany. Yes. We can speak about Lenin and his, his understanding of, of imperialism as the last uh, layer of, of the idea of capitalism, the last, the last uh, phase of capitalism. So this is cultural Marxism, then. It's, it's gone beyond economics. Absolutely. Antonio Gramsci in, in yeah. Italy and his cultural Marxism. And race became one more uh, element in this fight to, to conquer, uh, to, to destroy capitalism. So race became an, uh, an essential Non, an element that cannot be subsumed within the element of social class. And, uh, and because Marxism is collectivist by nature, it had a lure over those who saw the black experience in America, uh, the black experience in America as never having embraced this conception of the human person as individual. They remain and retain the more collectivist understanding gotcha. of existence that was in the non-West. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting how this so supposedly so authentically black understanding of social processes embraces a European construction. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah. No, that's 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 very good. Very good. Um, is there? Uh, it sounds as though it's. It's difficult to imagine uh, th- th- these two theories finding much common ground. Exactly. However, we did see that early on. For example, we remember how Dr. King at, at times lost hope and became a little bit more radical right. in, his, in his understandings, in his, in his uh, approaches. Uh, the Vietnam War, right. the social, the, the, the cultural and sexual revolution, changes in the American landscape, the violence of the of the Southerners, that was their response to his callings for for harmony and brotherhood. Uh, but he also always had this capacity of returning to the center of hope. Yeah. And we see the, the opposite in the life of, 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 of uh, Malcolm X, mm-hmm. very radical. And when he experienced certain problems within the nation of Islam, and he be, began to see some hypocrisy in the way that things were being uh, lead within that movement, he began to move more into the, a more hopeful embrace I, of a new understanding of race in America. Yeah. So in the lives of individuals, there was this capacity of retaining the center of their ideology or their, or, or their theory of race, but shifting at the edges towards the other, the other side. Yeah. We are losing that capacity in America, and that is what is scary. Those two understandings of race are becoming very discreet, 
and, and oppositional to an extent that is no, there's no longer tossing at the edges and the more radical seems to have the upper hand mm-hmm. at this moment. Yeah. And, and that is, I think, it doesn't fare well for our country if that understanding of race finally triumphs. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. And I'm, the example of Malcolm X is a, is a good one because he does yes. go through, uh, you know, he had a, a, some some type of conversion when he was in prison, which unites him with Elijah Muhammad and the the strict separationist view of the Nation of Islam. But then when he goes on the Hajj, uh, you know, all of a sudden he's being treated well um, by white men. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it, and he has to rethink this uh, black separationist ideology, and it would have been it's, uh, uh, it would have been interesting to see if he yeah. could have mo- continued to move in that more hopeful direction, uh, more universalist uh, direction. But we'll never know, of course, because he was uh, he was murdered. Yes. Um, yes. It, it is very sad that that. That that, ha- that happened, uh, but it's understandable. Uh, African Americans have all the reasons in the world to be pessimistic about their future in America. Right. At right. the same time, it is true that the more oft- optimistic approach is the one that has given the greatest victories yeah. to, to the civil rights movement. Well, let's. let's... So, uh, yeah. What I want to do, because we're, we're going to have about two minutes left, and I, I want to make sure that we tell us what you're doing to make, you know, the Freedom Virtue Institute is doing to give us a, a more optimistic uh, hope uh, for the future of race in America. The, the goal of the Freedom and Virtue Institute is to speak to our people, that human identity resides not in our color, right. where our race becomes a beautiful but secondary element of our constitution as, as unique and unrepeatable persons made in the image and likeness of God. That every one of us has this moral capacity of self-realization because we mirror our Creator Himself. And when we see each other to the, to the lens of that unifying commonality of human dignity, we will begin to see praise as simply a beautiful secondary expression of who we are as, mm-hmm. as persons. And we offer training. We call it commonality training. That is an alternative to diversity training. Uh, that is focuses in this universal commonality of human uh, human uh, human dignity yeah. and how through dialogue and taking the risk of 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 looking at the other and giving the other the benefit of the doubt yeah. and not seeing the other as simply as specimens of a race we can recapture this hopeful uh, hopeful vision of America in America today, we see a white person, and I already know everything that needs to be known about that white person, <laughs> right. and I don't even know your name. Yet, you know? <laughs> and the same happens with a black person. Right. I see a black person, I already know everything that needs to be known, and those, those are false perspectives. Yeah. Ismail, thanks so much uh, for joining me today. And again, people can get a hold of you. How? 
fvinstitute.org. Okay. fvinstitute.org, Freedom and Virtue Institute. I'm Al Creston.